0: remain standing for the reading of the gospel. John's gospel, the 20th chapter, verses 19 through 30. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side I will not believe. Eight days later the disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. The doors were shut but Jesus came and stood among them and said peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it my side. Do not be faithless but believing Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to them, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is apropos of nothing. It's just something I wanted to share with you. Before the 9:30 service, the lovely girls who come and light the candle for us—they were back there getting ready—and I made some smart aleck comment about, "Oh, you're the ones who're going to set fire to something today." And one of them drew up, "No, we're pros." I feel privileged to speak to pros. An old man with not much time to live, reaching an old pitiful hand across the bed rail at the hospital, reaching out to his middle-aged son and asking him to forgive him. I stood and watched this son with his hands jammed into his pockets as if they had been sewn in. A straight line, a grim straight line made his mouth, and he stood there frozen, Now, you might think I would be pulling for him to go ahead and forgive the old fellow. But I couldn't. I knew this man. You see, he knew his father's hand, not as an open hand, but as a closed fist that had beaten him repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly as a child and as a teenager. And though those physical wounds had healed, the emotional wounds lingered and festered. And there in front of me, two things that I value a lot. Forgiveness and justice just collided. Didn't know who to root for. To truly forgive is one of the hardest things we ever do. And yet here, Jesus comes breathing on the disciples, breathing his spirit on them, saying, Go to forgive. Go out. That's your job. And he gives this task of impossible difficulty to a small band of terrified people, so afraid they've locked themselves in, people who are traumatized witnesses of carnage, potential targets themselves for the next round of slaughter, and there are people who are ashamed because they said they'd be there for Jesus, and they ran away instead. They're people with shattered dreams hanging on to the very shards of themselves. And as this group, he asks to go about the task of forgiving. Where should they start? With the butchers of Golgotha? With their own rabbis and leaders who betrayed them? With politicians who like to play to crowds? Who had no moral compass of their own with themselves? But who should we forgive? I don't know everybody's background, but I'm certain that there are people in this room who grew up abused and who still carry the scars. Maybe you've been lied about by somebody, and you paid the consequences, and they got off scot-free, and you should forgive them. Or maybe your ex, one with whom you're intimate and vulnerable, and they say things that were very private and personal. Or maybe there was some criminal who took something from you, your innocence or some possession. Forgive them? A drug lord who peddles death? A young woman I know, she and her husband both got hooked on heroin. And I asked her one day, where'd you get this stuff anyway? And she said, I can't tell you that. If I told you that, they would kill me and my family and they would kill you and your family. Forgive people who are human butchers? to this locked room full of failures jesus comes his very presence evokes their shame and he wishes them peace he confronts their doubts and he tells them to forgive his very presence how do you believe i never go to the funeral home expecting the body to pop up out of the casket How can they possibly believe that this guy's alive? And yet here he is, maybe something's wrong up here with me. And he asked them to practice this impossible task of forgiveness. We often hear forgiveness as excusing injustice, overlooking the harm. I remember one day talking with a man tethered to oxygen, talking to him at his kitchen table, who said to me, He found what he'd been looking for all of his life right there at the kitchen table when he really couldn't run from himself anymore. And he wanted to ask God's forgiveness, and we, we had a prayer, and we asked God's forgiveness. And his wife, as I was leaving, said, Would you come downstairs with me for a minute? And I did. And she couldn't sit down. She was so agitated and she started in. Do you know what he's done? Do you know how many times I had to go out and drag him home drunk? Do you know how many times I followed him as he loaded our kids on the motorcycle and weaved all over the road as I followed them home in the car praying he wouldn't kill my children? And now he gets to say, I'm sorry, and he gets to go to heaven willy-nilly. Should Nazis be given a pass because they're in their 90s now? All their victims are still dead. What does it mean to forgive in this crazy world? Jesus starts by wishing them peace. It's a wholeness of spirit, a soulfulness, a a satisfaction, like a gardener, proud of her garden, surveying her produce, and awed at the miracle of growth and her participation in it. Peace. And he breathes to them the Holy Spirit. It's it's like he's saying, not just an anointing, but I want to take what's inside of me, what makes me alive, and I want it to make you alive. He breathes it to them. I want what animates my soul to animate your soul. I want you to have what makes me full of purpose and drive. I want it to drive you. I want the love that's in here to be the love that's in you. And the language here is not the language of command, it's the language of description. That if this Jesus stuff gets in us, we want to heal. It's not a command. It's a wanting to. And sometimes we get lost in the words, but they, they mean so much more. And what we call forgiveness begins with seeing differently. We so often talk about sin as some moral failure, and, and so often we become moralistic scorekeepers as if somehow if we could just keep a spreadsheet of sins, it would all work out. That's exhausting but here sin is more like brokenness and a seeing about what did the breaking the underlying fear that made them run away the pain the wounds we cannot acknowledge it's one thing to condemn drunkenness but with this jesus breath in us we look at the broken soul who killed in war and who deeply wounded himself the moment he pulled the trigger. And we do not pronounce judgment. We see his self-medicating, trying to soothe the pain in his soul. And because of this, this Jesus breath, we see that brokenness, and we want to restore and touch that wound and bring healing there. with Holy Spirit, this breath. We want to release folks from what imprisons them. So we oppose racism and all the other isms. Not so we can beat the other folks who hold these, but because we see the brokenness of hatred. We see how it gnarls the soul, how it limits other people how it deprives them of opportunity and even life itself, how it keeps them from fully being who they are. And the goal is not some cheap grace, but the healing of individuals who so hate that they're afraid to love. It invites them to healing. Jesus shows them a locked room full of fearful people who have betrayed him. But he doesn't see them as traitors. He sees them as people. And he wishes them peace. He sees them as people and he offers them his very breath. What's inside of him for them. Forgiveness asks us to see differently. But Jesus also does what they need. This whole passage I read is an acted sign in John's gospel. He literally shows them his, his wounds. You can't just believe because some spirit showed up. I mean, it's scary. But they need to see the wounds. They need to see that it's really him. One of the joys in my work is working with some Amish families. And honestly, they're afraid of us. We're Englishers. And many Englishers have mistreated them and they're taught to be wary and one day in an Amish home this little boy who had clothes that were ready to be handed down the coat hit him about right there the pants hit him about four inches above his ankles the coat was so tight he could kind of move a little bit had his hat on but he'd not seen an Englisher up close before And he looked at me with really big eyes and edged a little closer. And then he poked me. (laughs) And then he poked me again. I said, it's okay. I'm real. Poke all you want. These disciples need to know that Jesus is real. He said, here, poke, poke away giving them what they needed. He accessed this real forgiveness. Kathy Ryan, who joined church last Sunday, she and Richard have been a faithful part of the class that I've been privileged to teach for a few years now, before I got this gig. <laughs> she told us one day in class about as a teacher and as a principal, how she dealt with students who were unruly. That's a nice word. For students, you really like to throttle. And she talked about in this one place where she was the the principal, it was such that the kids had to stand up. They had to talk back to you. They had to resist anything that you wanted. Otherwise, they'd lose face with their peers. And it meant more to this girl who was acting out not to lose face, than it did to do what the principal had asked her to do. And she went on and on for several minutes, acting out and and saying, I don't have to do what you tell me to do. And Kathy let her go for a while. And when she finally wound down, she'd impressed her peers, Kathy leaned in calmly and said, now, how can I help you? Because Kathy knew it wasn't about her desire to throttle this girl. It was about this girl's need. It's what Jesus does here. They're already ashamed. But here, see what you need to see. Everything's changed. I have this dear friend... And she gave me permission to tell this. When I first met her, she was hard to get to know. Always felt defensive, always felt like, stay over there, stay away. And then I would learn more about why. I would slowly learn about her bouts with depression, about the medicine that she took that sometimes it just didn't seem to work anymore. And she would go through weeks even months of terrible darkness, trying to get things right. I'm so grateful for her psychiatrist who worked and worked with her. And then get it right and she'd come out of it. Maybe a couple of years later, go through it all again. And I would learn of her life as a child, waking up in the middle of the night because her mother was pounding her with her fist, screaming at her about some alleged infraction, something she hadn't done. I would learn about her hiding in the backyard to avoid her mother's drunken rages. I would hear her talk about the brokenness of teenage years and how she truly felt like she's on a path to becoming a delinquent. But with some help, with a love, with a vision of what she could become, She survived. I walked with her through the burying of both of her parents, and she told me the time in the hospital with her mother when her mother was dying this mentally ill, drunken woman who had beaten her so many times. And the roommate said to her, You need to anoint your mom. She said, I'm not a priest. The roommate was persistent. You need to anoint your mom. Your mom needs you to anoint her. And so strongly did the roommate feel about this as she left the hospital and drove to her parish some distance away and got holy oil and, and brought it back and pushed it to her again. Your mom needs you to anoint her. my friend took the oil and she rubbed it on her mother's forehead she rubbed it on her lips on her hands on her feet on every part of her that had abused her she says she's no priest I think she is I know this I know she's one of the strongest women I ever met. In that act of anointing, she lived out this holy breath and teaches me what this mission of forgiveness is all about. Amen.